What is up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Not Gonna Lie. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry, and we have a jam-packed show for you today. So, this is going to be a solo episode, I think my third one that I've ever done, but don't worry, we've got lots to cover. So today we're going to be going over one question for every team in the NFL. So we're going to go through all 32 because we're getting ready for preseason games. The season's about to start. All right, let's jump right into it. So we've got the Cardinals here. And my question for the Cardinals is, how good can the supporting cast be? Now, this is something that they struggled with last year, obviously training Josh Rosen, which was a big disappointment. But there's so many more issues on the team than just quarterback. I mean, I've said it before, you know, drafting a quarterback in the first round when your team is a mess is like putting a Band-Aid on a broken leg. I mean, we can even go back as far as, as Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin III. Both guys, very talented quarterbacks, but they went on teams that had so many holes. I mean, luckily the Colts were able to figure it out and get it together. But Robert Griffin III suffered injury after injury, and now he's you know barely making it in the league. So for the Cardinals to be successful, they really need to make sure they have a strong supporting cast that can help Kyler Murray win games. There's a lot of question marks with this team. David Johnson obviously is still recovering from an injury. Wide receivers aren't the strongest. Offensive line is just atrocious, and you know the defense isn't much better. So if they can figure out a way to develop this young talent that they have and then go out next year in free agency and, and sign some playmakers on, on both sides of the ball, it can really go a long way. I mean, you look at how the Rams built their team. If Jared Goff wasn't on a rookie deal, there's no way they would have been able to afford all of these pay- players and continue to pay them. Same with the Cowboys, same with the Eagles, same with even the Browns. So right now, they really need to have, they really need to hope that their draft picks can turn out to be solid starting players, and then they can make more moves in free agency and eventually complete this rebuild. Next up, we have the Atlanta Falcons. And my question for them is, where is their offense? Now, you may remember they famously lost a 28-3 lead a couple years back in Super Bowl 51. And, you know, they made the playoffs the year after that, but this year, finishing 7-9, and nine, it was definitely a disappointing year. But we haven't seen really the same output that we expected from this Atlanta Falcons offense. I mean, obviously having Matt Ryan at quarterback and Julio Jones, you know, one of the top, I would say top five quarterback wide receiver pairings in the league just because of how good Julio Jones can be, you come to expect great things from them. Obviously having Calvin Ridley and Muhammad Sanu helps as well. Running back Devontae Freeman, they should be a top 10, top five offense in the league, but they're really struggling. They're not playing at the level they should be. And because of that, the team is suffering. They're not playing you know, they're, they're in one of the toughest divisions, in my opinion. The NFC South, I think, is the hardest division to win just because you've got the Saints, the Panthers, and the Bucks, all very good teams, very well-built teams. But if your offense, your best weapon isn't really showing out like they should, then you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So I want to know where their offense is and if they can get it back for this upcoming season. Next up, we have the Baltimore Ravens, and my question for them is, will Lamar Jackson actually be playing quarterback this year? Now, I mean, obviously he plays at the quarterback position, but this past year it's really been nothing more than a glorified running back. And obviously that can work in college. Like, we understand that there are lesser athletes in college. I mean, you're playing, you know, 300-plus schools, so obviously you're not going to have all NFL-level talent. So that means you can run the triple option, you can run the ball, a lot, wildcat formation, whatever you want to do, and you can get by. But this is the NFL, right? We have some of the best minds, some of the best athletes, and it's just not going to fly. So if he's going to make any noise in the the AFC North this year, he's going to have to start throwing the ball. And I know I've heard he's making progress, but he needs to come a long way. I mean, obviously he's completing about 50% of his passes or so. And, you know, that, that that doesn't really work for an NFL quarterback. They've got a strong running game. They drafted 
Hollywood Brown this year. I mean, I'm expecting big things. Obviously, they, you know, they have a defense that they can lean back on, one of the best defenses in the league. In the league. Um, but Lamar Jackson's really going to have to shoulder a lot of the load this year and, you know, really start throwing the ball if they want to have a chance to win in this upcoming season. Next up, we have the Buffalo Bills. And my question for them is, do does Josh Allen have enough weapons in order, in order to succeed? So obviously, you know, at running back, he's got LaShawn McCoy, who's on the tail end of his career. I mean, he's got maybe one or two prime years left. And then at wide receiver, you've got John Brown, Zay Jones, Cole Beasley. So they, you know, they obviously got Cole Beasley in the offseason from the Cowboys. So they're doing, they're trying their best they can to give him weapons, getting Tyler Croft as well. But is it enough? I mean, obviously, he's not the most accurate quarterback, but he's one of the strongest arms in the that we have in the league right now. And the Bills, I don't really think they're going to be winning the uh, AFC East anytime soon. They just really don't have the talent there on either side of the ball. But in order for Josh Allen to succeed, you know, like I was saying before with uh, with Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, this is the time now where you can pay a lot of money to a lot of players to get them to come and play for you because your quarterback is cheap. He's not going to get any cheaper. I mean, they're commanding 25 plus million dollars a year. I mean, unless your name's Tom Brady, you know, they're, they're wanting to get paid. And so right now is the time to surround uh, surround your quarterback with weapons, and I don't know if the Bills have done that, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what they have in tap for us. Next up, we have another NFC South team, the Carolina Panthers. So, I mean, there's obviously a lot of questions we could go into. We could talk about coaching with Ron Rivera, talk about Cam Newton at quarterback, but the one I want to focus on is Christian McCaffrey at running back. So this past season, he caught 107 passes and rushed, ran the ball 220 times. And obviously, you want to you want to think you want to extend the career of you know the players that you have, because you don't want to run your running back into the ground and within four years he's injured and he's not a use for you anymore. I mean, McCaffrey is a top five running back, maybe a hot take, but what he's able to do in the receiving game as well as the running game makes him invaluable to the team. But I feel like you need to use him a little bit more. Cam Newton has been struggling with injuries as well, and he could really rely on a stronger running game. And McCaffrey's the best they've got. I mean, he rushed for he rushed the ball 220 times, and he still got a thousand yards last year. Five yards a carry—that's one of the best numbers in the league we've got. But maybe if you find more weapons in the receiving game, so you can reduce the load he has to take there, then you can focus on you know him being a running back and really opening up the passing game. It's really embarrassing, I think, for a franchise when your running back is your most is your leading receiver. And that's not a knock on McCaffrey; it's a knock on the wide receivers that the Panthers have right now, because they really need to focus on preserving him but also getting the most out of him that they can not always relying on him on him but using him when they need him so I'm interested to see how many how many carries McCaffrey is going to get this year I like to see him get more and you know still catch 70 80 passes because he's capable of doing that next up we have the Chicago Bears and with you know most teams there's a lot of directions we can go uh, obviously can Mitch Trubisky step up and lead a team which I think he can. I think he's going to be able to take big leaps. He's still growing as a quarterback, making reads, making accurate throws. That's going to come with time. But the thing that I'm most interested about is who is going to kick for the Bears this upcoming season. Now, obviously, after Cody Parkey's double doink, he's no longer with the team. And they've got two guys locked in a battle right now, Elliot Fry and Eddie Pinheiro. And so with, with preseason coming up, this may be the most exciting thing that we'll be able to watch. I mean, who is going to be the Bears kicker? Because they had the talent to go all the way to the Super Bowl, and you know, if they, I mean, you you, you don't want to you don't want to put it on one play. I hate putting a game on one play, but obviously everyone did their job, and you know it just didn't come through when when it was necessary. So it'll be exciting to see where the Bears go 
for a kicker, whether it's between these two guys or an undrafted guy we haven't heard of or even finding a guy off of another team. Uh, but it's definitely going to be the most exciting kicker battle to watch this upcoming season because we now know how necessary it is for the Bears. One of the most talked about injuries of, of this training camp season so far has been A.J. Green, who tore a couple ligaments in his ankle and is questionable for the start of the season. But, I mean, I feel like this is just par for the course for him because of all the games that he's missed in these past few years. And Andy Andy Dalton needs him. I mean, most, most quarterbacks can make do, but Andy Dalton's lifeline is A.J. Green. That's the reason he's still the quarterback for the Bengals right now. And so A.J. Green is going to do a lot to determining the success of the Bengals this year. I don't really think they're going to be competing for, you know, a lot in in the AFC North because the Ravens, Steelers, and and Browns are all very talented teams. But a good season for them is going 7-9, 8-8, and then reloading when they can. And A.J. Green, you know, A.J. Green is is the step between everyone having a job on offense and everyone looking for, for a new team. Because I don't think if if Andy Dalton didn't have AJ Green, he wouldn't have stayed as long as he had. And so, but if he can't stay healthy, then who is Andy Dalton going to throw to? So it'll be interesting to see what happens in this upcoming season with AJ Green. Can he stay healthy and can he be you know a top ten, top five wide receiver in this league still? Next up, we have the Cleveland Browns, aka the most fun team in football. And you know, you may have noticed I'm rocking the mustache. I'm I'm with you, Baker Mayfield. My favorite quote probably of this season so far, because um, you never know what could happen with the mustache. But with the with the team, with the Browns, having so much personality, having so much life, there's a lot of problems that come up with that. I mean, OBJ and Jarvis Landry are very outspoken players. They're a lot of fun to watch. They're a lot of fun to play with, um, you know, unless you get on their bad side. And Baker Mayfield has not shied away from the cameras ever since he stepped onto uh, the Browns facility. And I don't think it's going to change this year. If everything goes right, this is going to be one of the best teams in football. They're going to win the AFC North. They could they could even make it all the way to the Super Bowl. I'm not I'm not throwing out that out there as a rock solid, you know, prediction, but they could. I think they have the talent there on both sides of the ball. A lot of young talent to make it there. But they could also crash and burn. I mean, I could just as easily see them going 6 and 10 and a lot of guys wanting out because they just can't handle all the personality in the locker room. So my big question for the Browns can you manage egos? Can you manage emotions and win football games? I really hope so. I really do. It's going to be a lot of fun. The most famous name missing from all of the training camps has to be Ezekiel Elliott of the Dallas Cowboys. And the tough thing with him is, you know, he wants a new contract. He wants to, you know, make money like a lot of the running backs have in recent years. But you look at last year, Le'Veon Bell, he set out the full season and ended up signing a deal for less than he would have had if he had signed the franchise tag and then gone with the deal after that from the from the Steelers. And the the thing that really confuses me is that Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper, who are vital pieces to the Cowboys organization, their contracts are up at the end of this year, but they're still at training camp. They're still showing up, you know, performing with the team, but Ezekiel Elliott still has another year, a full year after that. And, you know, he struggled off the field. If I'm the Cowboys, I don't, why am I in a rush to pay him money? Like, he needs to show he can grow up and be, you know, the athlete that he's expected to be because he's a role model for a lot of people. And right now he's doing things that, you know, people shouldn't be looking up to him for, you know, what he's doing. And the Cowboys are coming up to a fork in the road where they're not going to be able to pay everybody everything. They've got a lot of young stars, but their time is running out. And so will Ezekiel Elliott stay? How much is he honestly worth? I mean, 
In my opinion, he's around $14.5, $15 million. He's one of the top-tier running backs in the league. But if he's going to keep getting suspended, you know, domestic violence issues, drug issues, whatever, I don't even know all of, all of what's going on. But if he can't stay on the field, then he's not worth a single penny to the Cowboys because the running back position is very fickle. I mean, there's a lot of players who can come in and be successful out of nowhere. I mean, you look at Peyton Hillis. He was fantastic for a year. I mean, all you need to do is find your, your Peyton Hillis in your set. And they have such a short span, I understand why they need to get paid. But Ezekiel Elliott can't be acting out off the field and expect to get paid just because a lot of other players are doing that. So for the Cowboys, the big question is, how much is Ezekiel Elliott worth to you? Next up, we have the Denver Broncos. And my question for them is, how long will it be until Drew Locke takes over? So no doubt about it, they got one of the steals of the draft. Many people were having them or, or predicting that they would take Drew Locke in the first round with the 10th pick, but they actually got him in the second round with the 10th pick in the, you know, one of the most surprising quarterbacks to be left out of the entire first round. And in the offseason, they made a trade for, for Joe Flacco, getting rid of Case Keenum, sending him to the Redskins, you know, putting an end to that project. And, I mean, Joe Flacco is not a bad quarterback. He's fallen on some hard times, uh, not not the best luck in recent years, but he is a Super Bowl winner. He won the Super Bowl, and he was the MVP. And the defense for the Broncos is absolutely fantastic. They just need a suitable quarterback, and they're going to win games. So the big question is, do they stick with Flacco, let him ride out for a couple years, and then Drew Locke takes over? Or do they run with Drew Locke right away? I mean, there's obviously a lot of things he needs to polish up in his game. And having a veteran like Joe Flacco, who's been there before, dealt with the love from the fans, dealt with the hate from the fans, you know, in Baltimore, where they're pretty rowdy, could be a lot of benefit to Drew Locke. But I wouldn't rush it. I would say wait two years. But honestly, if Joe Flacco is as washed up as a lot of analysts are saying he is, then maybe a change needs to be made sooner than later. Next up, we have the Detroit Lions. And my big question for them is, can they beat more notable teams besides the Patriots? Now, we all remember the, you know, uh, the famous smackdown of the Lions and the Patriots this past year where the Lions won 26 to 10. But, you know, and obviously if you beat the Super Bowl champions, you're expected to be a pretty good team. But obviously finishing second at 6 and 10 is less than ideal for the Lions and where they want to be at. But this past offseason, they've signed more Patriots players. Matt, Matt Patricia, the former defensive uh, coordinator for the Patriots, has brought over a number of players, including this past offseason, Danny Amendola and Trey Flowers. Unfortunately for Lions fans, they faced a lot of losing in their career. I mean, obviously, if, if you guys don't believe me, you can check out a previous episode we have where we covered the 2008 Lions with Dave Burkett and talked about their own 16th season. But the Lions are ready to win, and Matt Patricia isn't going to have the longest leash in the world because Lions fans, you know, expect a lot out of their team. So another 6-10 and 10 finish. I don't, he, he can't really have too many more of those. I mean, they have to be pulling out winning records, at least making you know, the NFC North look like a competition trying to dethrone teams. But there's a lot of talent there. And Matt Patricia has to show that his ball club is capable of winning more games that matter besides the Patriots. The next team up is the Green Bay Packers. And now the Packers have had their struggles through the past years, obviously fin- finishing with a losing record the past two seasons. And now they have a new head coach in Matt, Matt LaFleur. But my question is, will that be enough to put them in you know, the top of the NFC North? It's, it's a battle up there. The Vikings are really good. The Bears are really good. And the Lions really try. But you know, when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks in the game as far as pure talent, you can't really be accepting these less than stellar performances. He is a really good quarterback. He can make plays make things happen for a lot of people, but he's not doing that. 
Now, hopefully him and Jimmy Graham can get something started and they can win a lot of games here because Green Bay has had a history of excellence. I mean, they went from Brett Favre at quarterback to Aaron Rodgers. There was not a lot of leeway, and they kept up winning. And having two losing seasons in a row is one of the, the most ludicrous things to a Packers fan, especially having Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. So my question is, is having a head coach enough, or do they need an overhaul of the roster, new weapons, new targets, new playmakers on defense to help keep the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands? Because I think the last problem that they have on the team is Aaron Rodgers behind center. Next up, we have the Houston Texans, and they have a big question mark across their entire offensive line. Deshaun Watson this past year was sacked a league high 62 times, and I don't know if you guys know this, but in order for your quarterback to make throws and make plays, he needs to be on his feet, right? So they tried to address this issue in the draft, uh, drafting Titus Howard, a less-than-stellar prospect out of Alabama State, and they, they had Andre Dillard, a great uh, tackle stolen right out from under them from the Eagles, who would have done a lot to help them. But instead, they reached on a guy who most experts didn't have going until the early third round, mid-third round. So they have a lot to do, and I don't think this question can be answered this season. I think Deshaun Watson's going to struggle again, even though he's got DeAndre Hopkins to throw the ball to. He's not going to have enough time to get there. And so hopefully, maybe they can make a trade, just put some pieces together, but they really need to make that a focus because Deshaun Watson cannot stay healthy if he's constantly getting sacked to the ground. I mean, obviously, just ask Andrew Luck. And wow, speaking of Andrew Luck, the Indianapolis Colts are next. That's crazy. It's almost like I planned it. So the Indianapolis Colts, as many of you know, are my favorite team, and a lot of people have high expectations for them. Obviously, winning the AFC South, going deep in the playoffs, and some even have them as a, a dark horse Super Bowl favorite. And my big question for the Colts this year is how are they going to be able to handle being the favorites? Because I remember the last time we were projected to go as far as the Super Bowl, we ended up finishing the season 8-8. Eight and eight. Andrew Luck got hurt, kidney, rib, literally any part of his body was, was injured. And Matt Hasselbeck had to be our quarterback for the last little bit of the season. You know, with like 38-year-old Matt Hasselbeck. No offense. Um, but this year, the team feels a lot different. You know, we have a lot of pieces together where there's not so many holes in our team, but still we're young. I mean, most people have a hard time, you know. It's easy to motivate when people are hating on you, when people are saying you can't do it. It's like, well, I'll show you. Well, the Colts don't have that problem anymore. They don't have anybody doubting them. There's a lot of people talking about them, and there's a lot of expectations for them this year. So we'll see how they're able to manage these expectations and fare in, you know, one of the tougher divisions in football, I would say, in the AFC South. Next up, we have our third straight AFC South team in the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, it feels like a long time ago, but just two years ago, the Jaguars were in the AFC Championship game with Blake Bortles as their starting quarterback. Now, obviously, a lot of things happened. The defense wasn't as good this past year. Leonard Fournette showed signs of, of struggles, and Blake Bortles is Blake Bortles. I mean, that's all you can say about that. But in the offseason, they signed Nick Foles. And my big question for the Jaguars is, how far can Foles take them? If the defense can regain form, I mean, they've got a talented defense all the way across the board, and they've proven they only need a below-average quarterback to get them to where they need to go. But what can Nick Foles do? How can he help? Can he help, you know, alleviate some of the, the struggle that the defense's, defense may have? Because, you know, every, you need a fine-tuned machine to win games out here. That's honestly what it comes down to. And if you don't, you're going to struggle. So my big question for the Jaguars is, how much pressure can Nick Foles take off of this defense, and how far can they go? Next up, we have the Kansas City Chiefs, and their question is a big one. 
I mean, obviously, on the offensive side of the ball, one of the best teams we've seen in recent history. Patrick Mahomes throwing 50 touchdowns. Tyree Kill is one of the fastest players in the NFL. They've got weapons all across the board. And on defense, honestly, they're struggling. There's not a lot of, of talent there, and their secondary got burned a lot. So my big question for them is, can the defense improve? Can they get better? How much have they done on that side of the ball in order to help the team win? Because they are a defense away from winning a Super Bowl. I mean, there's a lot of people out there. I was just listening to a podcast today, Stick to Football. Matt Miller was saying they could go 16-0, and which is I think is physically possible with the offense they have and a defense that can be average, get stops for them. They could easily go 16-0 and win all the way to the Super Bowl. But on the flip side of that, if the defense can't get stops, they're going to struggle to win games. And yeah, they can get into a lot of shootouts and win a lot of shootouts, but they're not going to win every time. There's always something that's going to go wrong, and one team is going to score more than them. So my big question for them is, how decent can the defense be next year? And now with that, we're going to take a break. We're halfway through the teams. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to get right back into the remaining 16 teams. And just like that, we're back. I got some dinner, ate a little, some hot dogs, some ice cream, and I'm set, and I'm ready to go for the next 16. So let's crack into it. The Los Angeles Chargers. My question for them is, how many years does Phillip Rivers have left? I mean, there's no doubt about it. They're a very talented team. They're arguably the second best team in the AFC, maybe third. But the only problem is that that first team is the Chiefs, and they're in their division. And, I mean, yeah, I think they split last season, and they lo- they looked really good against them. But my the thing is, how many years are you going to get left out of Phillip Rivers? I mean, he is not athletic at all. He's made it off of his smarts, not off of his ability to make things up on the fly and create plays with his legs. But he's still a really good player, and they have a ton of talented playmakers on both sides of the ball. But with this Melvin Gordon issue, you know, we don't really know where that run game's going to come up. He said, either give me a new contract or trade me, and no progress has been made since. So it's hard to tell which direction they're going to go in. And yes, they can, they can survive without him, but they're a better team with him, and they're going to need all the help they can. Or else, you know, we don't, we don't know what Phillip Rivers has left. I mean, this could be the year he falls off the the quarterback cliff, as we've seen so many players do. I mean, I hope he doesn't, but if he does, the Chargers are going to be in for a world of hurt and fast. So how, how soon do you start looking for a replacement? How soon do you start grooming a guy? You know, maybe in the second or third rounds, fourth, you know, even beyond that to, you know, become his predecessor because they're going to need to start thinking about that soon because, I mean, he's not Tom Brady. He won't be able to play forever. Up next, we have one of the most exciting teams in football, the Los Angeles Rams. And my question for them is, how long can they keep this core group together? Now, I'm just going to read off the list of some of the players that they have on their team right now, and they are star-studded. Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, Robert, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, Clay Matthews, Marcus Peters, Aqib Tlaib, and Eric Weddle. There's no doubt about it. From a, from a talent standpoint, the best team in the league. I don't even think that's a hot take, honestly. I mean, they didn't show up in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, obviously losing 10-3 to in what was, for the most part, a snooze fest. But they've been afforded the luxury of having a rookie contract quarterback in Jared Goff to be able to afford all of these expensive guys, and it's worked out so far. I mean, they're able to give big extensions to Todd Gurley and to Aaron Donald and not have to go through these months of drama and you know questions of what's going to happen with these guys because they're not getting paid what they want to. But... As we get further on, these players these players are still decently young. A lot of these guys, Marcus Peters, Aaron Donald, 
Todd Gurley, uh, you know, and and Brandon Cooks, and they're going to be expecting a big payday. So what are you going to do? You have a few years left, but if you don't win a Super Bowl, you don't have that excuse to lean off of. I mean, there's a reason why Tom Brady takes a pay cut because he knows he's going to get to the championship game or get to the Super Bowl almost every year with the team. But if they're not able to win the Super Bowl, then Sean McVay isn't going to have a lot of bargaining power. He's going to say, look, we can try and run it back, but if they don't win that Super Bowl, there's only a few years left with this team. So that's my question. How long can they keep this unit together? Next up, we have the Miami Dolphins. And I'm going to be honest. They overachieved last year going, I think it was 6-10 and 10 or whatever it was. This is not a good football team. Uh, in the offseason, they traded for Josh Rosen. They gave up a late second-round pick, essentially a third-round pick, to lure him from the Cardinals. And he's not even looking like the best quarterback in training camp. Right now, it's a hot QB battle between journeyman and i feel like that's an understatement for all he's done ryan fitzpatrick and josh rosen and this is my biggest question for them is who's going to start i mean i understand josh rosen is not a talented enough quarterback to lead a team without any help like he's obviously going to need a running game an offensive line a defense wide receivers tight ends the whole nine yards in order to win you know win games in the league but you know you still want him to develop and he's not going to develop and get playing time if fitzpatrick's going to start over him and we've seen Fitzpatrick look like an MVP candidate. I remember last year, Fitzmagic was one of the biggest things that was sweeping the NFL nation for about two weeks. Ryan Fitzpatrick looked like an MVP candidate, and then he fell off the wagon. So how long are you going to let Fitzpatrick start, if even at all? Because if nothing else, he's going to be a great mentor for Josh Rosen, help him figure out what to do, what not to do, when to make reads, you know, and help him grow as a quarterback. But I don't think he should be the starting quarterback because Josh Rosen, the only way he can get real experience is in-game. And, I mean, look, they're not going to win a lot of games anyways, so you might as well protect him as much as you can. So I can see both sides of the coin, but that's my big question for the Dolphins going into this next season. Next up, we have the Minnesota Vikings, and my big question for them, is Kirk Cousins a viable option at QB for the future? Now, I have more experience than most people watching Kirk Cousins as my dad is a big Redskins fan. So game in and game out, I've seen Kirk Cousins develop. I've seen him put up the big numbers. And honestly, I fell for the trap too. I thought he was a really good quarterback. But as my dad, who told me consistently every time, it doesn't matter how many stats he puts up, he doesn't show up in the big games. And this was exemplified this season, considering how good the Vikings were playing under the lights. And it seemed like every game when it was on the line, Kirk Cousins just didn't come through for them. Now, you, you give him realistically, you paid him a lot of money, a three-year deal. I feel like realistically, you give him this season to try and work out the kinks, maybe somehow develop a sense of, you know, that two-minute drill, being able to lead a team, because you've got a talented offense. Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, most quarterbacks would kill for a duo like that to throw the ball to. But he really needs to figure out a lot in himself and figure out how to lead a team to wins, or else I wouldn't blame the Vikings if they put him on the trade market, see what they could get out there. I'm sure... I bet the Broncos would leap at the chance to get Kirk Cousins, uh, you know, because they've been really smart with getting QBs in the past, hmm. hence the sarcasm. But that's a really big question the Vikings need to answer because the defense is there, the offense is there, the running game is there. The quarterback is lacking. And in this league, you can't win without a quarterback. So that's my big question for them this upcoming season. Next up, we have the New England Patriots. And my question for them, can they do it again? I mean, it seems like every year since maybe 2014, all the analysts have said, yep, this is, you know, 
the Patriots dynasty is coming to an end. They really can't win anymore. They suffered through that time when they had Jimmy Garoppolo queued up to be the next quarterback, and then Robert Kraft wanted him traded. They traded Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, everyone expected, oh, Tom Brady's going to hit that cliff. He's going to fall off. He's going he's gonna to lose. I think it was a couple weeks ago it was the five-year anniversary of Max Kellerman famously stating that, you know, this was going to be the last year that Tom Brady was good and he's going to fall off the cliff, but he still hasn't yet. And they just won a Super Bowl, and he's 40-plus. Just signed a two-year extension, and it doesn't look like he's going to be retiring anytime soon. I mean, look, we know they're going to win the AFC East, barring some sort of minor miracle from one of the other teams in the division. But, you know, do they have what it takes to go to the Super Bowl again? I feel like we all know the answer is yes, just because of how smart Belichick is and how good a quarterback Brady is. I was looking at this statistic, and it says that you could make a case that Tom Brady has two, had had two Hall of Fame careers. It was a post from CBS Sports. So he's won, um, you know, before his ACL surgery and after his ACL surgery, he's won uh, three Super Bowls before, three Super Bowls after, two Super Bowl MVPs both those times, thrown for over 44,000 passing yards after, 26 before, 320 passing touchdowns from 2009 to 2019. I mean, this is this is one of the best quarterbacks ever. From a winning standpoint, the best quarterback ever. From a talent standpoint, obviously, it's arguable because we don't know for sure. But, I mean, I feel like the Patriots can do it again. I, I'm just going to be honest. It seems like they have the pieces in place. They've got the defense there. Somehow, Belichick finds weapons for Brady to throw to. He just builds that connection. And honestly, if we see him hoisting Lombardi again, I'm not going to be surprised. But yeah, that's my question. Can they run it back? and win another Super Bowl. Next up, we have the New Orleans Saints, who were infamously robbed of a Super Bowl berth, and they've even taken that to court. I mean, that's a totally different story. It's just a wild scenario in New Orleans, but this season is a new season, and they have a good chance to run it back. But my number one question for the New Orleans Saints this year is how will Alvin Kamara handle being the number one back in an offense that really uses the running back a lot. It really opens up the passing game for them. Obviously, Mark Ingram was their main third down back, but he left and has gone to Baltimore, leaving Alvin Kamara to share a lot of the load. And he's not a power guy. Like He's, he's very shifty. He's very quick, a great route runner, great pass catcher, all those things. But he's not going to be able to pound it you know, between the tackles, between the guards, you know, every down, because it's going to take a, a toll on the rest of his game. So I'm going to be interested to see how he will respond to dealing with a lot of those carries, you know, will they will they lean on the the depth more? Do they have a guy that can handle the third down responsibilities like Mark Ingram had? Because I think the Saints are in a good position this year. They didn't lose a lot of guys. They've got a lot of talent um, on both sides of the ball, and they're going to be a really fun team to watch. So, but the big question will be how much will the run game suffer now that Mark Ingram left? Now we are up with the New York Giants. My question for them is. Who are they drafting number one overall next year? <laughs> Obviously a little bit of a joke there because they're not a good football team. They had a terrible draft, in my opinion, and a lot of analysts' opinion because Daniel Jones is not the answer at six. Remember how I said, you know, getting a, a quarterback when the rest of your team's a mess is like putting a band-aid on a broken leg? Prime example right here. Daniel Jones wasn't nearly anybody's pick. Everyone thought they were going to go Haskins or Drew Locke or even find... A defensive end because there's a lot of talent in there but instead they shocked the world and went with Daniel Jones and it's too early to tell what kind of quarterback he's going to be you know they could have hit a home run on this pick we're obviously gonna have to watch the preseason games see how he does 
and maybe they'll decide to put him in over Eli Manning in the next, uh, you know, at some point during this season. But right now, there's so many holes on this team. Saquon Barkley is far and away the best player. You know, they obviously have Evan Ingram too, but they've faced a lot of injuries. Sterling Shepard going down, Golden Tate potentially being suspended. They let Landon Collins go for, for free pretty much uh, this offseason when they're really lacking playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. So, I mean, in reality, my question is how long will it be before Dave Gettleman is fired and they actually put in a good GM to make decisions for them? Hopping over to the other New York team, next up we have the New York Jets. And my question for them is, will Le'Veon Bell prove he's worth the money? Now, he famously sat out in the entirety of last season and signed a contract for less than what the Steelers actually offered him, which kind of backfired on his entire plan and honestly kind of made him look dumb. But that's over now. It's fine. It's in the past. And now he can focus on this season. And it's honestly a very important season because if Le'Veon Bell, I mean, Le'Veon Bell looks good. I was listening to Stick to Football podcast earlier. They were saying they were hearing reports about, you know, he really looks in probably the best shape of his life, a really strong guy, really, you know, really bulked up in the offseason. But this is a really big year for them because Sam Darnold's going into his second year as a quarterback and having a superstar running back will really help elevate his game because it takes a lot of pressure off him. And they have a lot of weapons, Quincy Nunwa, Robbie Anderson. Uh, you know, there's there's guys around there that can make plays, wide receivers, you know, off the ball. And if they have, you know, and, and Le'Veon Bell's a pass catcher too. So if they're able to set up the run game, establish it, um, then they can make a lot of noise. And Sam Darnold can make some great leaps. And the Jets might have, you know, finally some consistency at the starting quarterback position, which they haven't had in a while. But honestly, it's all riding on Le'Veon Bell and what he can do in this upcoming season. All right, now heading to the other side of the country, we've got the Oakland Raiders. My question for them is, how good can their new players be? Now, obviously, they traded away Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper for a ton of draft picks. And, you know, they were busy this offseason as well, signing Antonio Brown, Tyrell Williams, two really solid wide receivers. LaMarcus Joyner, safety. Nathan Peterman to back up Derek Carr. I'm just saying, you never know. Apparently, John Gruden said that he was really impressed with what he saw in Nathan Peterman, and it's kind of laughable. I don't really know what he saw um, in him or even if it had anything to do with football, but that's besides the point. And then in the draft, obviously, Cleveland Farrell, who I wasn't really set on, but when we had Connor Rogers on the podcast, he was very high on the player that he could be, the work ethic he had, and the leader he could be. And they also went with Josh Jacobs out of Alabama, the running back. Great pick as well, a workhorse, really solid guy, and a no-nonsense a hard worker, and then Jonathan Abram, a safety. So that's a lot of new faces on a team that really needed a serious overhaul. So it'll be exciting to see what they can do with these guys, and obviously, if Antonio Brown's foot's okay, because I don't really know the whole story behind that, but I saw the picture, and it doesn't look the best. So wish him a speedy recovery. Hopefully he can get back by the time the season starts, but these Raiders could make some noise. I'm not saying playoffs, but if I had a dark horse wildcard, they'd probably be one of my favorites to put up there. Next up, we have the Philadelphia Eagles, and my question for them is, can Carson Wentz regain his MVP form? I mean, we obviously all famously remember uh, a couple years back when Carson Wentz tore his ACL. He was on an MVP pace, and then Nick Foles had to take over. Obviously had that legendary playoff run, defeated Tom Brady and the Patriots in the Super Bowl in one of the most high-octane offensive shootout games we've seen in a while. Um, and then almost almost ran it all the way back with them the next year when Carson Wentz was battling an injury. And obviously we never wish injuries on a player, and we hope that you know they, they stay injury-free no matter what they do. But 
can Carson Wentz really come back to the player that he was? I'm not saying he can't. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's something the Eagles have to think about because now that Nick Foles is gone, they don't have the luxury of leaning back on him and relying on him when they need to. So Carson Wentz is going to have to do whatever he can, rest up, get healthy, and be the quarterback they need to be because the Eagles are a good team. But we've seen it so many times. You can't win without a quarterback. It's impossible. There's, there's just no way you can do it. And then after them, we've got the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, my big question for them is obviously they lost Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. And there was a lot of drama in the locker room, a lot of frustration among those players. But they're missing those solid role guys behind them because obviously Juju Smith-Schuster is going to slide into the number one wide receiver option and James Conner is going to be the number one running back. But they really had a strong core and a lot of depth with the players. And I'm just wondering who's going to pick up the slack. I mean, you've obviously got Benny Snell at running back, and he'll be able to shoulder the load. James Washington at wide receiver for the Steelers. But, you know, we don't know. Those guys aren't certified stars or certified, you know, above average players, which is what the Steelers need because they really need to focus on having a no-nonsense year and being able to get the best out of the players that they can. Now we're hopping back over to California. We've got the San Francisco 49ers. And my question for them is, is Jimmy Garoppolo a good quarterback? Now, obviously, in the small sample size that we've seen out of him, we've seen a lot. And he's been a really good quarterback, really fun to watch, and he's led the 49ers to a lot of wins. But unfortunately, he just can't stay healthy. And that's going to be a big issue for them as they go into, you know, fighting for contention in the NFC West because the Rams are really good, the Seahawks are really good. So at best, you know, you're fighting two top-tier teams in the NFC without your starting quarterback. I mean, Nick Mullins was a great backup. George Kill's a fantastic player. Dante Pettis, Marquise Goodwin, they've got the stars there, and especially their front line on defense is absolutely jam-packed. But the big question for them will be, what are they going to do with all these guys? And can Jimmy Garoppolo come back? Because he'll be the key, if he's as advertised, to them getting back into the playoffs and getting back to being a relevant team. For this next team, we are headed to the Pacific Northwest, and that is the Seattle Seahawks. And my question for them is, who is Russell Wilson going to throw the football to? Obviously, he signed that massive extension with the obscene amount of money um, as a, of what they call the signing bonus. But you look at their wide receivers here. You've got Tyler Lockett, obviously a very solid wide receiver. David Moore, haven't really heard of him. Uh, and then DK Metcalf, who is was famously picked you know, by the Seahawks in the second round. But there's not a lot of options after that. Luckily, they've established a running game. You know, they have a good one-two combo with Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. But if you're going to pay all that money to Russell Wilson and, you know, still be like, look, you're going to have to make all these plays on your own, throwing to guys who, you know, aren't aren't top-tier players, he's going to struggle. And this, the defense isn't what it used to be. You used to be able to rely on the defense. Solid running game with Marshawn Lynch. Great wide receivers. Uh, but now he doesn't have that anymore. And there's only so many years that you can ask a guy to carry the team before it just breaks him, you know, before he gets injured or he just, you know, he just gets exhausted and struggles to, to win games because it's not going to happen every time. You can't be relying on dumb luck to win you football games. So that'll be interesting to see what happens with the Seahawks and what they do moving forward into this next season. We're nearing the home stretch here, almost done. Next up, we've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And my question for them is can they stay relevant in the toughest division in football? Now, I mentioned it earlier on the podcast. I believe the NFC South is one of the hardest divisions because the Falcons, Panthers, and Saints are all really good, and they're probably going to win a lot of games this year. I wouldn't be surprised if 
they had one or two of the wildcard teams just based off of the potential of what they have. Obviously, it may not happen, but it's realistic thinking. And the Buccaneers have struggled in recent years. Obviously, they've got a talented uh, three-headed monster in Jameis Winston, Mike Evans, and O.J. Howard, who've accounted for a lot of points. But Jameis Winston has struggled. He's not, he hasn't looked like a really great quarterback, and they kind of flip-flopped between him and Ryan Fitzpatrick last year. But this year, they've got Blaine Gabbard at quarterback as a backup. And that's not going to fly. I don't really think Blaine Gabbard's going to be starting any games, if at all, barring an injury from Jameis Winston. But on the defensive side of the ball, you've got a decent, you know, Devin White, the draft pick this year, a really exciting player. Nadamik and Sue, we all know about him and what he's able to do. Vernon Hargraves. There's a decent team here, but they're really going to have to fight hard and get the most out of their players in order to stay relevant because they're going to struggle in division games. And that's a good chunk of your season already. If you can't win in your division, then you're screwed for the rest of the year. So that's my big question for them, and I wonder how it will eventually proceed itself. Next up is the Tennessee Titans, and my question for them is how long do you keep working with Marcus Mariota? Now, obviously, they've, they've surrounded him with a team. He's, he's won a playoff game. He's shown success. He's shown flashes, but he's really struggled with being able to um, win games and really lead the football team. I mean, he's been, he's been the quarterback, but it just hasn't been... It's been less than, than exceptional. I mean, in 2016, he had his best season throwing 26 touchdowns and nine interceptions, but he hasn't thrown over 15 touchdowns since. His, uh, and he's struggled to throw touchdowns, throwing 13 and 11 in the following years and not getting over 3,500 yards at all in his career. And they really tried to surround him with weapons. Uh, you know, they, they put Derrick Henry uh, with him in the running game and, and tried to establish it there. Um, Corey Davis, obviously a, a wide receiver, but... He hasn't really shown that he has what it takes to lead the team, and I'm just wondering how long they're going to put up with it because they need a guy who can who can win them games, and Mariota has proven time and time again that he's not the long-term answer. All right, we've made it all the way to number 32, and here it is, the Washington Redskins. My question for them is can they keep at least 53 guys healthy throughout the entire season? Ha, huh. another little joke there. Just adding a little humor here on the podcast. But in all seriousness, they've really struggled with injuries. Uh, they're going to get Darius Geis back this year, who tore his ACL last year. Trent Williams has caused a big stir in the media saying, look, I want you to trade me or release me because the training staff is not good. And it's a really a bad look for the franchise. Whether it is just dumb luck or poor planning on the medical staff, they really need to get that situation resolved and, and figure it out. And also, I'll throw in a little bonus one because that one was somewhat of a joke. Is Colt McCoy really going to start the year at quarterback? Now, when they released the unofficial depth chart, they listed him as number one, and I was surprised. And I instantly texted my dad. I said, "Hey, look, why, like, why, why not Case Keenum? You traded for him. You absorbed that exuberant salary. Uh, but, but why is he not the starting quarterback here?" And I mean, he made a really good point, saying that Colt McCoy knows the offense, and Dwayne Haskins isn't ready. I mean, they got really lucky. He fell into their lap at, at 15. But he's, I don't think he's ready to go yet. He really needs to learn the offense. And Colt McCoy is consistent. And I don't believe that's a good consistent. I think he's like just a little bit below average, but he's still consistent. You know what you're going to get out of him. And I'm excited to see what he can do. I don't know if he'll stay as the number one quarterback until Dwayne Haskins takes over or if Case Keenum will slide in. But you're paying an awful lot for a backup quarterback. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how this Q 